So first I'd just like to say a very warm welcome to all of you, many familiar faces, and welcome back. And for those of you who are new to this retreat, um, yeah, a very warm welcome to you also, trusting you will soon feel at home in this environment. So some introductions for those of you who perhaps don't know us. My name's Christina, this is Jenny, this is Rob and Catherine, and the four of us will be engaging in different ways of being here over these days. So this evening we essentially would like to give you an overview of the retreat, um, talk a little bit about the practice and the framework that really holds this retreat together. I'd like to start with speaking a little bit about arriving. Um, in many ways, you, your first thought might be, haven't we already done that? In some ways, yes. In other ways, your sense of arriving here may well indeed be a process. I know many people come into this retreat from, particularly at this time of year, where there can be all kinds of waves of intensity and franticness and sometimes family dynamics and emotions that may not always be your sort of daily diet. And so sometimes arriving can be this very much this sense of an outbreath. Ah, this chance to kind of step out of some of the busyness and certainly some of the agitation that seems to run through our culture at this time of the year. But arriving has something more to do with more than just landing here physically. I think it has more to do with the kind of psychological and emotional commitment that we bring to being here. As to how we land, how our minds, how our hearts really catch up with our bodies. Certainly, you, many of you, of course, will discover that in so many ways your life follows you onto your cushion and follows you into your walking path. And of course, why would it not? But part, I think, of really arriving in a, on, on a retreat is beginning to explore, investigate how we relate to, how we embrace that world that arrives from so many different directions in so many unpredictable ways on a moment-to-moment -moment level. Now, clearly, this path that we engage in here, this path of wakefulness, this path of mindfulness, it's not about just creating some cocooned environment, some way of being disconnected from our lives, from the world. 
In fact, this whole practice is a practice about how to be present wisely. So how are we present wisely? With the thoughts, with the memories, with the images, with the plans, with the issues, with the imprints of our life as they really do appear in this moment. Not pushing away, not being lost within. Interesting, very often when the Buddha began to speak about cultivating this path of wakefulness, this path of awakening, he would often begin with the encouragement to disentangle from the world and to establish ourselves in mindfulness and solitude. Not resist, not deny, not suppress. But I think it is so important as we begin this retreat that each one of us might ask of ourselves, what does it mean for us to disentangle from the world in a way that would allow us to be present in this world, this life, this moment, most wholeheartedly. I think there's a lot of different pieces to that disentanglement. I think one of the pieces is a piece of knowing what we are committing ourselves to, knowing what we are dedicating ourselves to during these time, these days, mm-hmm. knowing really what this retreat, what this path is actually in the service of. There's a lot of things it's not in the service of. Rehearsing for the future. You know, trying to necessarily problem solve. It's not really in the service of trying to find the answers to every challenging life dilemma. It's not in the service of self-improvement. It's not in the service of having a particular kind of experience or meditative experience. So what is a retreat in the service of? Really, I think it partially, in many ways, a retreat is very much in the service of drawing forth and building upon what the Buddha really described as the very ennobling qualities of our heart, our capacities as human beings for dignity, for integrity, for compassion, for kindness, for understanding, for patience, for wakefulness. But the Buddha never talked about these just as destinations, but as moment-to-moment cultivations. What do we commit ourselves to in coming on retreat? These are good questions to begin the retreat with. To mindfulness, yes. This is very helpful. To commit ourselves to being as mindfully, wakefully present as we can be in the midst of all things. Solitude. Not, again, not divorcing ourselves from relatedness. Not uh, judging relatedness because clearly we are related. But the inner solitude. Being able to rest in our own heart. Rest in our own sense of capacity. 
I think what is very helpful to cultivate as we come into this retreat, different dimensions. I think one of them is an investigation into commitment. What brings us here? What we're doing here? What draws us here? What we're dedicated to? There are other questions to explore, other qualities to cultivate. One of them is contentment. I mean, I don't know how it is for you, but I'm, you know, it's, it's kind of unusual to be in a situation where you really don't have to do very much. You know, meals appear. You know, they just come. You don't have to run around all day. You don't have to be responsible for making life happen here. Bells ring. You know, things happen. It allows us the possibility of exploring, I think, more and more deeply what, it, what contentment is. Not bovine contentment, not passive contentment, but that sense of there actually being enough. Enough in this moment. In fact, perhaps everything we need for generosity, for patience, for kindness, for a sense of sufficiency, inner sufficiency. Contentment is a very core piece of this teaching. In fact, when in the early days when, when men and women would go and, and join the Buddha in the homeless life, it was often the first teaching. Find contentment inwardly, a sense of ease, inner well-being, being able to rest upon a sense of sufficiency. Of course, in this situation, like any situation, there's endless opportunities for irritation and intolerance and annoyance and you know, feeling like I don't get what I need. But I think this is also an opportunity to question that and to perhaps sense maybe this moment, everything I need for serenity, for sensitivity, for calmness, for investigation, for kindness. So arriving, I think arriving means, for most people, entails making this kind of psychological, emotional, inner adjustment, a kind of an awakening or a reawakening to just where we are and what this moment really both offers to us and asks from us for it to be as full, as rich, yes, as full, as rich, as wakeful as it can be. So I wish you a very fruitful retreat here. So... I'm Jenny, and uh, yeah, I'd like to just echo the, the welcome for people who've been here before many times or not at all or anything in between. Um, and I'd like to say a few words about the atmosphere of silence and the practice of silence. It is, it's very much part of the support for the retreat environment and for 
everybody's practice, mutual support for each other's practice here. So very specifically, the, the, the request and, and the, the practice is that talking will only be um, during interviews with teachers or as absolutely necessary to tomorrow to get information about your yogi job. And other than that, to maintain silence throughout the retreat. So if this isn't very familiar, that might feel very challenging and, and maybe quite strange. And I'd really invite you to see this as a great opportunity. It's really a gift that you're giving yourselves rather than as a rule or a, a restriction. It's, it's incredibly rare in our culture, maybe especially at this time of year. Um, silent night. <laughs> it's quite rare. Um, and to, just to see this as a, as a way of really supporting your practice, yourselves and each other. It's a very different way to be with others, especially in, in such a, a busy, crowded uh, retreat. It's an opportunity to just drop any concerns about what kind of image you're presenting to the world, um, what sort of impressions you're making on other people. It can just be such a relief not to just not to go there, uh, even if we don't think that's very important to us. It's, it's there somewhere. And it's also an invitation not to escape into conversation when the going gets tough, which very often is what we do, but staying with your experience, inquiring into your experience, re retaining that, that presence with whatever is arising. Silence allows a much deeper experience of, of your experience, of what is coming up, what is happening, your mental states, uh, whether it's contentment or struggle or anything. Uh, but we're not distracting ourselves immediately from it. So, yeah, I just really invite you to enter the silence with, with a sense of, of really embracing it and choosing it and, and it's a great gift that you're giving yourselves and to see silence not just as the absence of speech uh, it's the absence of communication so firstly communication with the outside world uh, so um, not writing letters or postcards home and very specifically turning off your mobile phone your cell phone for the duration of the retreat and I know this can be very challenging. Um, in a way, retreats were easier when there was just the pay phone and you had to have the right change and um, it was, everyone could see that you were making a call. Um, but really, unless there are some very exceptional circumstances which mean you need to be in contact with someone, in which case let us know and we can talk about how we can work out how to deal with that. But generally... A Gaia House number can be obviously made available to family and friends at home if they need to contact you suddenly. So even checking a text, it might not feel like much, but it can just take your mind somewhere else uh, and, and break any sense of continuity of presence here. So one option might be, if you really feel this is going to be tough, is to turn your phone off and give it to the coordinators for the duration of the retreat, and it will be locked away safely and returned to you. And if this is going to be something that 
is a bit of a surprise to family and friends at home. You may need to tie up any loose ends this evening and let them know. Maybe one final call just to let people know you're actually incommunicado until uh, Monday morning. And if there are any uh, unfinished loose ends in your life that need to be dealt with, just to, to really please do that tonight so that tomorrow you're, you're even more fully arrived, as Christina was saying. Um, we'd also encourage a, a, a renunciation of, of reading and of, of much writing. So, um, you know, even Dharma books, even worthy uh, reading can again it's a way of escaping from our experience uh, and certainly the big novel that you might think this was a great opportunity to read uh, please leave it at the bottom of your bag and this isn't again about restriction this is about really allowing a different way of being a different way of experiencing yourself um, I know in in some of my early retreats, I took copious journals of the minutiae of my mental states. And then the next day, I think, this is history. Why did I write it down? But somehow it, it pulled me out of the, the moment. Um, so, you know, it's not our rule not to write anything down, but just to be very selective if you, if you take notes. <coughs> because all these things just take us really into our habitual thinking mind and, and away from direct experience. It also would include avoiding kind of unnecessary non-verbal communication. Now, we, we don't, you don't have to avoid eye contact. You know, we're, we're not saying um, go around staring at the ground. Um, but, but just having a sense of what one teacher I know calls keeping custody, custody of the eyes. Having a sense of, you know, when we're, we're looking out for distraction, um, where, where we're looking and why. And I'm sure that the coordinators have already talked about not leaving notes for other yogis. And if you're very concerned about somebody, to write a note to a coordinator or to one of the teachers uh, about your concern. Um, so to communicate by notes um, rather than taking someone aside and, and talking, but only to, to us or the coordinators. Um, so... Obviously, this is just something to explore if it's, if it's new to you, but, but silence can just, um, as I say, it can really deepen your experience of being here, and it can also offer a, a level of awareness of skillful speech after you leave the retreat. It can make us much more aware of that moment when thinking turns into speech. And ultimately, I think practice takes us to... a uh, place in the mind where there is silence even in the midst of activity. Um, a Hindu Swami I once knew talked about the riverbed of silence that is underneath our minds that we, we speak and act from and in a way our speech returns to. And, and he certainly embodied that, that kind of quality of aware presence even in, in speech. Um, and, and maintaining silence can really support contacting some sense of what that could be like. So, um, yeah, I think that's probably all I want to say. I'll just uh, leave you with some lines from Hafiz um, 
about silence that, that may speak to you more poetically than, than what I've said. He says, A day of silence can be a pilgrimage in itself. A day of silence can help you listen to the soul play its marvelous lute and drum. Is not most talking a crazed defense of a crumbling fort? I thought we came here to surrender in silence, to yield to light and happiness, to dance within in celebration of love's victory. So that may or may not be your experience, but uh, I, I really like the idea of a day of silence as a pilgrimage unto itself. My name's Catherine, and I want to welcome you all also. It really warms my heart sitting here and seeing all these people, all of you coming to cultivate the heart-mind over these days. What a thing to do between Christmas and New Year. So tonight you're probably picking up that we're giving the framework, we're presenting the framework for our days together here. And in practice, we take a lot of care with the framework. Normally, our lives or our mind gets very attracted and pulled and pushed by everything that's within the frame. All the things our mind comes up with, you know how it is. The thoughts, the images, the feelings, the and we get pulled and pushed. In practice, we learn about what's a skillful framework to be able to step back, step out, and understand this process of the mind that is, has activity arising in it. And as Christina said, without being pulled into and without suppressing. So the piece of the framework that I'd like to offer is one that you all know, because I believe for this retreat everyone has practiced before in insight meditation. So you all are familiar with the ethical guidelines, the precepts. Um, So I'd like to remind you of them and then reflect a little bit on this part of our framework. They are considered training precepts. They are to train the mind to find skillful pathways, actually, you know, all the possibilities that our mind comes up with, we take these ethical guidelines and support and steer the mind in these directions as they are considered skillful, skillful pathways. So the first precept to undertake, the training precept to not take any life, to not kill any creature that is here. Uh, including, I think there are still slugs on vegetables coming from the vegetable garden. Just taking care with the life that is here provides the sanctuary for all of us, actually. The second precept to undertake the training not to take things that aren't offered to us. So guarding the mind, the custody of the mind, not to just take for ourselves what isn't offered. The third training precept to, um, in this context of this retreat, to be silent. So the noble silence, normally to undertake 
this the training precept of speech that is not divisive and untrue. The fourth precept to refrain from sexual activity for this retreat. And in daily life, as you know, it's not a celibate precept for lay people, but to take care, not causing harm through sexuality. And the fifth training precept, not to uh, cloud the mind with intoxicants and drugs. And uh, an addition to that is that does not include medication that you're on. Continue to take that. But these are things that would cause heedlessness and make our mindfulness much less available to us. So these are our training precepts for this time. As a part of our framework, something that when we undertake them, they can steady the mind. We're not just pulled. Really simple things like the, the one that would, where I would regularly have to work on retreat is this acquisitive little mind that would arise when I would go in the shower in the morning and there'd be some shower products that another yogi had left that I'd never tried out before. That's where that acquisition of the mind would go for me. And it was just the training, no, just don't go there. This provides a steadying, a stabilizing quality for the mind that we need, a foundation for our practice, for our sitting, for going deeper. Provides a safety also for us, for our mind, for our being here together. You know, in practice, one of the trainings, we could say, one of the arms, one of the things that can, uh, is important here is to be able to relax. Right, to relax where we are with upright mind. But how easy is it for any of you if somebody just gives you the instruction, relax? Maybe for some of you it's easy. Certainly that never worked for me. Normally we relax when what we can relax into feels wholesome, feels beneficial, feels something that is stable and worthy of our resting back. And the precepts are part of providing a relaxation for the mind. Can also provide an uplifting quality for the mind. You know, it's it's a wholesome, beneficial thing. A friend is staying with me at the moment, who's not from the Buddhist tradition. She has a practice and a, a path. And she said, "What will you speak about tonight?" And I said, "Well, we'll talk about X, Y, and Z and the precepts." And she said, "How do you?" Share that teaching without it becoming something that the judgmental mind can get hold of. You know, these, the kind of the right and wrong uh, suffering that many of us carry in our hearts. How do you take on these precepts without them becoming a comparing thing where we say, you know, oh God, I've already broken all those precepts in my life. I may as well give up. You know, we can sort of suddenly our mind is cast back to all the things that we where we haven't managed that. And that is not at all the intention with these training precepts. The beautiful, beautiful, wise thread through the Buddha's teaching is that there is not this right, evil person, good person. There is skillful action and there is unskillful action. And where we can actually cultivate that is in this moment. Nowhere else, not what's happened already, which ones we haven't done and where we've fallen short. But right now, 
this is where I can orient my mind. And it's such a beautiful thing that this cultivation can keep happening in the moment that we're awake. And the training precepts are a kind of a framework that we can keep referring back to. And this is something beautiful. This is something uplifting. This is something ennobling, actually. So steadying, relaxing, safety, being able to breathe out. All the creatures in the garden, the little rabbits around here, are they still hanging around? Have you seen any today? There's a, there's a relaxation of the, of the life force here. We don't have to kind of look over our shoulder that someone's going to you know, shout at us, take something of ours, hurt us. And this is actually a huge gift to each other. You know, most of us probably didn't have the intention to hurt someone while we were here. But it's not something that all the world can take for granted. So we're really offering this for each other, this safety, this refuge, this sanctuary. And we can breathe out and land more and more in arrival where we are, which is always the gateway to what we seek, actually. Let's see. Yeah. So this is the framework of the training precepts. Please take them on. You've all used them before. The The mind of investigation, if it's not a practice you have in your daily life, take it on for this time and we investigate, see, does it lead to beneficial effects? This is really the where we test the metal of these frameworks that are offered to us. And uh, it can be a beautiful and ennobling practice in and of itself. If we were just to spend the whole week here together with precepts, this would be of benefit. Thank you. And I look forward to meeting you during these, these days. So I'd very much like to add, add my welcome to you all uh, to this retreat. It's very lovely to be here and to be to be part of this together. Um, <clears throat> so I want to draw out a couple of things which have actually been um, uh, woven into what uh, Jenny, Christina, and Catherine have said so far. But in case it's not already obvious for you, because we can be hearing what we've heard so far, and it may be that a part of the mind gets hold of it and hears all these rules. And someone said to me on the last retreat uh, that did here in November, you guys just up there and you're just telling us, don't do this, don't do that, and da, 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 da. And, and, and the mind in, in the case of, of that retreat was, was cat- catching on to it in a certain way. But can we see... Is it possible right now to see all this, all this here, everything here, everything that's been said, everything that we will be doing together, and the whole place here is all really in the service of kindness. The whole thing, the whole retreat, your being here, the practice, that's simply all it is. That's all it is. It's just kindness. It all exists for, for that. And it's so easy 
so easy for us either not to see that or to forget that very quickly. And we practice and we go through the day and you see the schedule, sit, walk and sit, walk. And somehow that uh, contact with the kindness, the orientation of kindness can kind of get forgotten or squeezed out of the process. So everything, all the meditations, the, the, the food, everything is kindness. All the ups and the downs that we go through in, in the mind and the body through a day, all of that also is in the service of kindness. All of it. So now just being on retreat in this ancient tradition, it goes back pre, pre-history, before people wrote written records, people were going on retreat seeking out time, space to dedicate themselves to something deep, to what they loved. To dedicate themselves to what was deepest in their intentions. And that's really what a retreat is. It's time and space dedicated for my deepest intentions. Just doing that is kindness. To put ourselves in alignment with our deepest intentions is a movement of kindness at profound level. Very easy, you know, for all of us in the busyness of our life and the pressures and the hassles and the demands, it can be easy for us to lose touch or lose sight of what we most deeply value. And something about being here and, and the silence as Jenny was talking about, something about that allows what we care about more deeply to come up to the surface, be more visible, be more palpable, and more felt in the heart, more immediate. And Christina was already asking this, but I'll ask again, why are you here? If you take a few moments right now, what brings you here? What happens when you ask yourself that question? What brings you here? Because you could have been a lot of other places this week. Sometimes we ask ourselves something like that, or we know it's a very clear answer. Sometimes we have a sense of it, but we can't quite articulate it. Either way, it's not important. But something, probably for you know, an answer to that, or answer, it has to do with your aspirations, our aspirations, what it is that we're longing for, what it is that we're wanting to move towards, to grow into, to develop, to open to. And this is something the Buddha talked about a lot, our aspirations and the directions that we want to move into. So the aspiration, the intention, if you like, for what is beautiful in the heart, what the Buddha calls kalyana, what, what is beautiful And that aspiration, you know, those aspirations for peace, for mindfulness, presence, for intimacy with life, for freedom, for love, for compassion, for truth, for knowing what the truth is, for happiness, well-being, all these things. These are aspirations, our wishes, our longings and desires that the Buddha would say, these are noble and ennobling. These, these are to be trusted. Something lovely in the aspiration for the lovely. And I don't know if that's so appreciated in our culture. 
that my my very desire for happiness is something very precious and I can even be touched by that. I don't know if you can feel the beauty of your own wish for happiness and your own wish for peace and clarity. And like I said, in that giving yourself that, giving ourselves that by coming on retreat is a kindness, <clears throat> is a movement of kindness. <clears throat> so we have our life and we have the possibilities that a life nowadays presents, an enormous range of possibilities for most of us as we are very privileged and very lucky living in, in, uh, in this part of the world, in the developed world. Enormous range of what's possible for us. And what will I choose? What's worth investing in? I have this possibility of choice. What am I going to invest in? What will be the compass of my life? The direction? Where will I set my course? In a way, a retreat is an, ad- an adventure. We're on an adventure. Which way is that adventure heading, that journey? Because this whole question around intentionality is enormously powerful in our life. Intentions have enormous power in them, enormous power. On a big level like that, thinking about the direction of my life, where it is that my heart is heading, where it is that I'm setting forth in my ship, that's a huge, huge influence in my life, that uh, large level question but also on a kind of micro, moment-to-moment, day-to-day level, has enormous power, again, intentions. Actually, when we look closely at the mind, there's always an intention. It's interesting. Every, every moment of consciousness has, has, has an intentionality with it, which is very interesting. And do I know what the intention is at any moment? There's a really interesting investigation for consciousness. So I'm moving through the day on a retreat, off a retreat. What's moving me? What is moving me? Really interesting to explore that in any moment. And you probably know this, but we can be on retreat with lovely intentions. And then what happens moment to moment, of course, is that our intentionality slips. It has to slip because it's impermanent. Like all things, it's impermanent. And where does it go when it slips? What happens to our intentionality when it slips? How easy, for instance, we might have an intention of kindness. We want the days to be infused with kindness. And somehow, again, like I said, we find, we find ourselves driving ourselves or putting pressure on ourselves. Somehow the, the kindness intention has gone out of it or the intention for kindness has been squeezed out without us even realizing it. Or we find ourselves, what, we re, what we're really wanting in this moment is some comfort or, some th- or things to be convenient. And this is all very human, it's natural, it's, it's normal. We want security or a bit of pleasure. All very human, very understandable, very normal. But the thing is, ultimately speaking, or at a deeper level, they're not really that kind, those intentions. They can seem kind, but they're not. They're not so kind. Well, we'll notice, if you want to take as a theme in the retreat, the, the, the presence and the manifestation of intentionality 
what is it right now? Where is it going? Can I renew it? Can I come back into contact with my desire for what is beautiful and and the way that I'm uh, orienting my ship? And does the intention have kindness in it? And in a way, that very orientation of the intentionality is something that can stay with us uh, through, through renewing, stay with us quite steady through all the ups and downs. Because as you know, there are lots of ups and downs on retreat. But I keep coming back to what I love, really, and what I want to move towards. So what would it be, I don't know if you'll remember this, and hopefully we can keep reminding you, what would it be at the beginning of each sitting, or at the beginning of each walking, to spend a few moments, or even minutes, really connecting with a sense of seeing the practice as a kindness? Not as a pressure, not as a demand, not as a self-improvement project, but as kindness. This is why we're doing this, this is what we're doing. We're giving ourselves something beautiful. And through that, to the world, giving, giving kindness. So each sitting and each walking, maybe at the beginning, to connect with that and have that imbue, have that be the environment, the direction of the practice. So just offer that as a, as a kind of... Po- Reminder and also as a possibility. You could take that up if you want as a theme and have it be something really quite uh, palpably present through the days. You keep bringing that in and keep letting it uh, inform and nourish and guide the days, the sittings, the walkings. Okay, so that's all I'm going to say and wish you a very lovely retreat and look forward to meeting with you. So we'll just take a short period appreciating many of you are probably weary from finding your way here today. So just taking a, just a few moments to quite intentionally, consciously bring your mind into your body. To be aware of your body sitting. Sensing your spine and the posture of your neck being as upright, as alert as you're able to be. Also softening within your body, sensing in this moment if there's any areas of holding, of tension in your shoulders, your face, your belly, your hands. Allowing them just to relax to release the holding, to soften. And 
Just finding in your posture that, that marriage, that blend of alertness and a very deep sense of ease and balance. few moments just sensing, just listening to the quietude around you and the sounds that arise and pass in that quietude. Cultivating a receptive, a collected mindfulness of silence, of sound. Bringing that same quality of a receptive, collected awareness, mindfulness to the life of your body. Just sensing the whole spectrum of sensations that are present in your body in this moment. felt sense of the touch of the air, your clothing on your skin. Your hands touching one another or touching your legs. The pressure, warm sensation of the contact of your backside on the pillow or chair. The sensation of your legs, your feet touching the ground.
sensing inwardly a spectrum of sensations, the life of your body, appearing in sensation. Rising and fading. The sensation too of your body breathing. The in-breath, the out-breath. The rise and the fall of your chest, your abdomen, with each breath. Let in the thoughts, the busyness, the images just sit in the background of your attention. Bringing into the foreground of your attention awareness of the aliveness of your body, the stillness of your body in its posture. Breathing in, calming the body, calming the mind. (coughs) Breathing out, calming the body, calming the mind.
I'm aware that many of you perhaps haven't had the thought about going to bed at nine o'clock in the evening since you're about six years old. But um, So if you do feel wakeful, please do feel free to sit, practice longer, but I would also encourage you to to really begin the retreat as getting as much rest as you can. And in the service of that, for tomorrow only, just being the first day of the retreat, the sitting period before breakfast time will be optional. Certainly, if you're awake, please do come for 6.45. Um, please don't wander in and out throughout the, mo- the early morning sit. But if you're awake, please do come for 6.45, and then that sitting just for tomorrow will be ended by the breakfast bell. If you feel that you would like more rest, then your day will begin with breakfast. Now, it's very important that you negotiate your times for getting places during the retreat. Um, We do really ask that people come to sit-ins in the beginning and tomorrow morning, just being mindful of actually being here and really seated and, you know, yeah, wakefully present at 9.30 so we can begin with the, the instructions, the meditative instructions in more depth to begin the day with. Otherwise, I hope that you rest well. We'll see you tomorrow.